This season for Lent, we've been focusing on the theme of, oh, that we might know the Lord. And tonight I want to explore that through the story of Mary anointing Jesus' feet. And we're going to dive right in. Our passage begins in John 12:1. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Let's pause here and set the scene. It's six days before the Passover celebration is to begin, and Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Because we've read this story before, we already know that he'll be handed over to the authorities and killed in Jerusalem. But on the way, he stops in Bethany, the village where the siblings Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live. And it's no small thing that it's the village where Lazarus lives. In the previous chapter of John 11, we read that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. This was a significant sign of Jesus' power that caused many who witnessed it to believe in him. For some, I wonder if it seemed like a turning point in Jesus' ministry that might jolt him into fame and power with a critical mass of people now believing him, following him. It certainly caught the attention of the priests and Pharisees. They took notice of the number of people who believed in Jesus because of this miracle. And they thought that if Jesus kept doing such amazing miracles, then everyone would believe in him. And that would cause Rome to destroy both their temple and their nation. So John tells us, from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. So the situation here is fairly tense. Many people believed in Jesus because he raised Lazarus, but there was also a warrant out for his arrest. The Jewish leaders had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus should report it so that they could arrest him. And many were watching to see if Jesus would show up at the temple this Passover. I wonder if some of those who followed Jesus or even those simply watching from the sidelines wondered if Jesus' time had come and that maybe now he would rise up and defeat Rome. From this side of history, we know that Jesus' time had indeed come and that he would rise up, but not in the way the people expected. Rather than rising up in rebellion, he would be raised on the cross. And he had a much larger goal than defeating Rome in mind. He would defeat death itself. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, so let's back up. In the midst of all of this acclaim and threats on his life, a dinner is prepared in Jesus' honor. It's possible that the dinner is being hosted at the house of Simon, a leper who Jesus healed, who also lived in the village of Bethany. We know that Jesus was the guest of honor 
We know that Martha served, as usual, that Lazarus was among those who ate with him, and we know that Mary anointed Jesus' feet. The text continues. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with a fragrance. Different people have interpreted Mary's actions here in different ways. But the more I've sat with this text, the more I'm convinced that her action was an expression of sorrow that flowed from knowing Jesus. Judas, and according to the other Gospels, the other disciples, however, are not impressed. On seeing Mary's behavior, Judas is indignant and exclaims in verse 5, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Now, you might be tempted to think that Judas's indignation also flows from knowing Jesus, from understanding the types of behavior that God calls us to. After all, caring for the poor is something God clearly cares about. Jesus himself understood part of his mission, to be to preach the good news to the poor. And when asked what would make a rich young ruler perfect, Jesus instructed him to sell all his possessions and give the money to the poor. Caring for the poor is an ongoing act of discipleship, and there are ample opportunities to express our devotion to Jesus by caring for the poor. But John tells us that Judas didn't actually care about the poor. He was a thief interested in lining his own pockets. And yet, Jesus practically ignores Judas's remark and instead defends Mary, saying, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Why did Jesus choose to defend Mary? What was it about her anointing his feet that made her actions beautiful and worthy of commendation? In other Gospels, we read that the disciples scolded Mary harshly but Jesus described what she did as good, and even said wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Even though Mary doesn't speak in our text, her actions demonstrate a deep knowledge of Jesus. She somehow intuited something that the disciples had largely failed to grasp that Jesus would soon die. Though Jesus had repeatedly and plainly told the disciples he would die, they didn't really understand, or at least they didn't want to. And Peter actually reprimanded Jesus for even saying such a thing. At the time of the dinner party in this passage, Mary was certainly aware of the animosity the religious leaders felt toward Jesus and the rising threats against him. She had likely heard 
Jesus' own predictions of his upcoming death. She knew that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and that Jerusalem was not a safe place for him. And so, understanding or intuiting that Jesus was entering a dangerous situation and would likely be killed, she takes an expensive jar of perfume and anoints Jesus' feet with it. Something in Mary's experience of Jesus not only allowed her to intuit that he would die, but also inspired her to offer a costly ointment in an act of worship that apparently no one understood except Jesus. So what do we know about Mary of Bethany? Of the three times Mary of Bethany appears in the Gospels, we find her at Jesus' feet each and every time. The first time we meet Mary is in chapter 10 of Luke. He tells the well-known story of Jesus stopping in Bethany and having dinner at Mary and Martha's house. It's a well-known story where Mary sits at Jesus' feet to listen to his teaching. And Martha complains that Mary isn't helping with the meal. And Jesus responds to Martha, saying, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. What is the one thing worth being concerned about? Knowing Jesus. We next read about Mary of Bethany in chapter 11 of John, where he describes Lazarus being raised from the dead. It's another story where we find Mary at Jesus' feet. So if we back up to the beginning of that story, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were likely good friends with Jesus. Bethany, the village where they live, is near Jerusalem, and it's possible that Jesus stayed at their house various times when he was traveling to and from Jerusalem. In John 11, 5 through 6, we're told that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And when Lazarus fell ill, they knew each other well enough for the sisters to ask Jesus to come to them. But Jesus delays. And when he finally arrives in Bethany, Lazarus has been in the grave for four days. When Mar Martha heard that Jesus had come, she rushed out to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Later, Martha returns to the house and tells Mary, the teacher is here and he wants to see you. And when Mary hears this, she immediately goes to him, falls at his feet weeping and says, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. These are words of deep grief. I imagine when she got to Jesus, all of the strength left her body as can happen in grief and she just collapsed at his feet, unable to hold herself together. Her words to Jesus simultaneously express belief and disappointment. She knew and believed that if 
he had been there, her brother would not have died. And she also knew Jesus well enough to share her disappointment with him. And not just a general disappointment at the harshness of the world. I wonder if there was maybe a barb of accusation in her remark. Surely, in some part of her mind at least, she wondered why Jesus had delayed in coming. And might she even have thought that Lazarus' death was Jesus' fault in some way. We can't know for sure what Mary thought or felt. But I can tell you that there are times when I have felt disappointed. There are times I have felt disappointed with Jesus. And I suspect I'm not alone. We pray, believing that Jesus has the power to heal and to rescue. But Jesus doesn't always answer our prayers in the ways or in the timing that we expect. Mary couldn't have had any idea at the time she fell at Jesus' feet that by allowing Lazarus to die, Jesus would display an even greater power by raising him from the dead. At the moment she was at Jesus' feet weeping, she only knew that she had asked Jesus to come and heal her brother. But Jesus had delayed, and now her brother was dead. We can't always see beyond our pain to understand what Jesus might be doing that is even more powerful than what we have asked. And sometimes Jesus answers our prayers in ways we don't understand. And to be honest, there are some things we might not comprehend until Jesus comes again in glory. I sometimes feel guilty or anxious about expressing disappointment to God. But Jesus doesn't judge or condemn Mary for sharing her deep disappointment with him. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Her words cause deep emotion to stir up in Jesus. And after asking where they have put Lazarus, Jesus weeps. It's only after Jesus weeps with Mary that he raises Lazarus from the dead. When we bring our own disappointments to Jesus, he understands our sorrow. And he often weeps with us. He's familiar with suffering, acquainted with grief. Because Jesus became human and suffered death for our sakes, he has experienced suffering, and he's able to empathize with us. And even when we don't yet know Jesus very well, he knows us and understands us. The third encounter we have with Mary in the Gospels is tonight's passage, where we find Mary anointing Jesus' feet. She offers something incredibly costly in an expression of worship and care for Jesus. Mary's act of anointing Jesus both acts as foreshadowing and as a quiet 
but powerful declaration of belief. The people at the dinner were celebrating Jesus as a guest of honor. They'd seen him do amazing things and maybe thought this was the time he would rise up. But Mary, she stops the dinner. She stops the dinner celebration with an extravagant act that nearly shouts without words that she believes Jesus is the Christ. And she believes he will die. I've tried to think what a modern-day equivalent might be. I suppose it might be like showing up at a banquet where someone is being given an award and presenting with them with an extravagant funeral wreath instead. It's an act that flips the event on its head, a party turned into a funeral. And yet, before long, Jesus will flip the story again. While Mary and the others may not realize it yet, Jesus will flip death itself on its head, and their mourning will turn back into dancing. There are a few things in Mary's actions here that I want to explore that indicate that her action of anointing Jesus' feet was one of mourning and preparation for burial, burial fit for a king. First, the pure nard she used to anoint Jesus was a primary ingredient used by Jews in biblical times to prepare bodies for burial. And because nard was so expensive, it was used by upper classes, including kings. Second, in John's account, Mary anoints Jesus' feet with the perfume. Now, to anoint the head might symbolize anointing a king or a priest. But when preparing a body for burial, it would have been common to begin at the feet. In Matthew and Mark's telling of this story, Mary anoints Jesus' head. In John's telling, she anoints his feet. Perhaps she did both. Twelve ounces is a lot of perfume. <laughs> in any case, in John's version, he chose to highlight that she anointed Jesus' feet, which evokes preparing a body for burial. And third, Mary wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. Most sermons I have heard on this story explain that it would have been incredibly uncouth for a woman to let down her hair for anyone other than her husband. And some describe her action here as something akin to flirtatiously hiking up her skirt. But there's another way to understand her actions. Nothing else, nothing else in this story suggests that Mary is being untoward, uncouth, or flirtatious. Women of that time might also have let their hair down in front of others while grieving or in mourning. And given the context of this passage, it makes much more sense to understand Mary's wiping Jesus' feet with her hair as a gesture of mourning. Finally, and most clearly, Jesus himself tells the guests and us in verse 7, that she did this in preparation for his burial. Mary may not have known the full meaning of Jesus' death, but she intuits that his time has come. And she's right. 
The next morning, Jesus and his disciples will travel the rest of the way to Jerusalem, where Jesus will be welcomed triumphantly by people waving palms and shouting praise, only to be betrayed later that same week and turned over to the authorities who will kill him. And Mary responds to Jesus with an act of costly worship. Whether she realizes her realizes it or not, her action of worship here is prophetic, foreshadowing both Jesus' death and his washing of the disciples' feet. Judas, on the other hand, responds by using religious rules to scold Mary. Judas tried to look good in front of others by claiming concern for the poor and demonstrating his knowledge of religious teaching, perhaps, even though that really wasn't what he cared about. Mary, on the other hand, doesn't seem to care what other people think about, and she just focuses on Jesus. So what do we make of this? What does this tell us about our own discipleship and how we respond to Jesus? I'm going to start with a little bit of negative lessons before moving to more positive. Um, merely listening to Jesus doesn't guarantee a right response. Both Mary and Judas listened to Jesus' teaching. Mary sitting at Jesus' feet when he visited Bethany and maybe other times, and Judas traveled with Jesus, listening to him teach all the time. Mary listened to Jesus in a way that somehow allowed her to understand or intuit it what Judas and the other disciples hadn't grasped. Knowing about Jesus is a good beginning, but it's not the same as knowing Jesus. And holding a position of, of authority, even within Jesus' followers, doesn't guarantee a right response to Jesus. Judas was the treasurer. He held a board position, if you will. Mary held no position of authority, and even her desire to learn from Jesus was criticized. And yet it's her response that Jesus describes as a good thing. Serving Jesus can flow from a knowledge of Jesus, but it's not the same as knowing Jesus. And it's even possible to serve Jesus without really knowing him all that well. So what is it about Mary's action that made it commendable? How can we tell that her action flowed from knowing Jesus? I don't know for sure if we can know, but I think our passage from Philippians 3 that we read tonight may help a bit. In Philippians 3, 7 through 8, Paul says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Paul thought he was righteous as a Pharisee due to his strict adherence to the Jewish law and his zealousness, which led him to harshly persecute the church. 
And yet when Paul came to see the infinite value of knowing Jesus, he realized that all these things he thought were valuable were actually worthless in comparison to knowing Jesus. What both Paul and Mary discovered is that the thing of infinite value, the one thing worth being concerned about, is knowing Christ Jesus. In comparison to knowing Jesus, everything else is worthless. All the accolades the world might offer, the positions we might hold, they are all worthless in comparison to the infinite value of knowing Christ. A large bottle of pure nard worth a year's wages is not worth nearly as much as knowing Jesus. Mary sat at Jesus's, at Jesus's feet and listened to his teaching. We too can take a posture of listening at Jesus' feet as we get to know him. For us, this might include reading and meditating on scripture, especially the gospels. It might include engaging in spiritual practices like listening prayer, Lectio Divina, or participating in silent retreats. Mary fell at Jesus' feet in sorrow. Perhaps current world events and personal challenges have caused you to fall at Jesus' feet in sorrow, pouring out your own suffering the suffering of others, and perhaps even your disappointments in prayer. I am coming to believe that suffering is inevitable. And some, like Richard Rohr, would even say that suffering is necessary. And Jesus doesn't judge us when we suffer, or even when we express disappointment in prayer. He understands our sorrow, and the Spirit grieves with us, interceding for us through wordless groans. And finally, Mary anointed Jesus' feet with nard, offering him a costly act of worship. We can't really anoint Jesus' feet with nard. But as we get to know Jesus more and more, and as we experience his compassion when we bring our sorrows and disappointments to him, we can offer him those things we value most. For us, this might include generous financial giving or giving up a position of wealth or influence to serve God in a different way. It doesn't always need to be a grand gesture like Mary's. Especially during Lent, we often practice giving up smaller things and, or taking on disciplines that make space for us to listen to Jesus. These smaller things we give up or disciplines can also be brought to Jesus' feet in worship. Even if others don't understand what you're doing, 
Jesus does. So we sometimes give up things that seem valuable to us, whether possessions, positions, or pleasures. And in doing so, we learn that when we give up these things, and sometimes even our very lives, we find true life. A life, as the First Nations version expresses it, full of beauty and harmony that never fades away. We come to realize that the things we give up, even the things we used to consider to be of great value, are worthless in comparison to the infinite value of knowing Christ. 